We have had a wonderful time journeying through James. It's hard to believe we've covered every verse of every chapter, and we've come to the last two verses. My message is titled, How to Cover Sin. There is a great hymn in our hymn book that I think most of us are familiar with. It begins with these words, Rescue the perishing, care for the dying. Bring Back the Erring One is the title over the verses in the New King James Bible. Did you notice that? Bring Back the Erring One. The word convert or convert simply means to turn back again. It is possible for believers to be seduced from the truth. Notice that these verses are not to the world out there. They are to believers. They are to the church. Brethren, if anyone among you, there's the great possibility. If any one of you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. It may seem difficult for some to comprehend that after an experience with Jesus Christ and even water baptism and even the baptism in the Holy Spirit, that the enemy could be so subtle as to turn somebody back into the beggarly elements of this world. But that's exactly what this text implies. Tonight we will gather at the communion table, and again we will refer to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. It is apparent from that passage that one can take communion in an unworthy manner and come under serious discipline and even death, spiritually and physically. And so Paul says, let everyone examine himself. Check up on yourself is what it translates out to be. Check up on yourself to see if you are in the faith to see if spiritual fire is alive and well in your life. The hymn in our book says, Rescue the perishing, care for the dying, snatch them in pity from sin and the grave. Weep o'er the erring one, lift up the fallen, tell them of Jesus the mighty to save. Another verse says, though they are slighting him, still he is waiting, waiting the penitent child to receive. Plead with them earnestly, plead with them gently. He will forgive if they only believe. Aren't those great words? Another verse says, rescue the perishing Duty demands it. Strength for thy labor the Lord will provide. 
back to the narrow way, patiently win them. Tell the poor wanderer a Savior has died. We have already set our course for 1991 as a church. Your leadership has decided that our theme for 1991 is going to be it's the normal thing to do. And all over this building and in all of our publications, you are going to see regularly the word normal. It is the normal thing to do. What is? To win the loss. To witness for Christ. To go out of this wonderful setting on Sunday to infect people with the best message they can ever hear. Jesus Christ can save them from their sin. That is going to be a catchy thing, I believe, in 1991 as we see this work continue to grow and multiply for Christ in this decade of harvest. That's what these verses are about as we finish the book of James, how to cover sin. I want to ask you a series of questions in my message this morning, beginning with this one. What is this thing called sin? In a nutshell, it's man's preference to choose his way rather than God's way. We so often like to label sin, put this name on it and put that name on it. But in essence, it is simply preferring your own way rather than God's way. It is how Satan himself fell. Isaiah chapter 14 chronicles that fall for us. Lucifer created a perfect and holy being, decided one day to substitute his own will for the will of God. He decided to build around him a kingdom of his own making. Look at the horrible creature he has become as a result of that decision. But I don't think you even have to look that far because it's exactly how man falls. He decides to build around him a kingdom of his own making. And look at the horrible creatures we become because of that design. His free choice, that is man's free choice, takes a light view of sin in our society today. That's what's happening in San Francisco right now. And the Bernie Wards on the radio and others in media make light of sin. But sin is deadly. And we must not forget it. We cannot make light of it or joke about it. A little girl was praying for her father. Her father happened to hear her praying and said to her, Now, honey, I appreciate you praying for me, but did you have to tell God that I have a hangover? Couldn't you have said just a headache? And isn't that the way we are, though? We like to play this thing down. We don't like to name it for what it really is, a deadly, destructive element in life. And some of you in church today 
have forgotten the deadliness of sin, that it will destroy you, that it will choke you, that it will ultimately defeat you and lead you to a Christless eternity unless you recognize the danger of sin. I read of a derelict on a street corner one day who watched a big limousine bearing a boyhood friend drive by. Obviously, this boyhood friend in opulence and wealth. And the derelict said with a shrug, Ah, there but for me go I. You see, we let things creep into our lives and become our friends rather than recognizing them for what they really are. If any of you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back, know that he turns a sinner from the error of his way and catch this, will save a soul from death. From within, Mark 7, 21 through 23 says, from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile the man. We can put them all in one category this morning. Sin. Deadly, deadly sin. Moses chose rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. There are pleasures in sin, but they are for a season. How difficult it is for some to grasp that. For a season. But I'm having such fun. For a season. This is such a delight, such a joy, for a season. Moses was one who could see beyond the season. He took the long view. And as a result, it saved his entire nation. This thing called sin has a way of turning on you and making you a victim as it becomes your master. Didn't intend it to be that way, but... That's the way it turns out. I suppose you have heard at some time or another the story of the animal tamer in London years ago who secured a bow constrictor when it was little and he cared for it until it became an enormous-sized serpent. They go up to 16 feet long. At the close of his exhibition, on one occasion, this animal that he had had since infancy glided forward on the stage at a certain command and rose up onto the trainer who had had him since his earliest hours of life. That animal, that beast, that serpent wound its way around the one who had befriended it and had been its master since its infancy. 
until it had all of its body wound around the trainer. You couldn't even see the trainer, but the big head of the bow constrictor was waving back and forth up over top of this mass. When the audience was cheering wildly at this exhibition, suddenly it became stilled with horror as a scream of agony came from that mass. The bones of the tamer were heard to crack one by one until all was still. The serpent had become the master. The man had toyed with it too often. And my friends, that is exactly what sin does. What is this thing called sin? It's something that starts out so innocently, but eventually rears its head over everything and controls and becomes the master rather than having it put underfoot where indeed it belonged. I have a feeling I'm speaking to any number of people today who look like you're well-dressed and you may be well-educated and you may feel that you have life well in tow. But there's one thing that continually moves through your life and it's starting to rear its head over your life and over every aspect of your life. It's the serpent we call sin. It wants to become your master. And unless you put it under the cross of Jesus and the blood of Jesus, it will lead you to death. And I'm here to warn you today of that enemy called sin. The second question I want to pose is what happens to the person who dies in his sin? I think we need to ponder that from time to time. And I take you to the most famous verse in the Bible for the answer, John 3.16. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him might not, there it is, perish. That's what happens to the person who dies in his sins. He perishes. That's what will happen to you, sir, if you die in your sin. That's what will happen to you, young person, if you die in your sin. Lady, that's what will happen to you if you die in your sin. God so loved that he gave so that we would not perish. Now, there are many voices that try to tell you otherwise. Atheism says, ah, man dies like an animal. He just goes back to dust. That's it. Dig a hole in the backyard and dump me in it, the atheist says. That's it. That is not it. Why did Jesus Christ say to the thief on the cross, today you will be with me in paradise, if that's it, if we die like an animal, and that's it. Why did Paul the great apostle say to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord if that's it? The paradox that I am finding in this hour is this. Many believe in a heaven. I mean, they will give assent. They will nod their head to a heaven. That's a great idea, a heaven, a place of peace and 
love and security forever, but they don't want to talk about the reality of hell. They cannot believe that God would be so unkind as to shut them out of heaven. If there is a hereafter and there is a heaven, God could not be that cruel. What is our response to this paradox? Well, it's not difficult at all to answer that question. Where does the sinner go on earth for companionship? Does he love to be in the house of God, in the prayer meetings, and with the people of God? No. The ungodly desire the ungodly, while the godly desire the godly. That does not change in the world to come. You're picking your friends for eternity right now. The ungodly now will be with the ungodly then, and the godly now will be with the godly then. Death does not work a change in man's nature. That change must happen while we're alive. Jesus said something very interesting in John 8 to a group of Jews that came to him on one occasion. I would like you to open your Bible to this passage to see how Jesus handled a very interesting question from the Jews. John chapter 8, beginning at verse 21. Jesus said to them, I'm going away, and you will seek me, and will die in your sin. Where I go, you cannot come. So the Jews said, will he kill himself? Because he says, where I go, you cannot come. Isn't that amazing that they would think Jesus would kill himself? So he said to them, you are from beneath, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. Therefore I said to you that you will die in your sins, for if you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Jesus nailed this thing right on the head. He said, I'm going away, you will seek me and will die in your sin. Where I go, you cannot come. What happens to the person who dies in his sins? He goes to where Jesus is not. He cannot go where Jesus is. He cannot go where peace is. He cannot go where joy is. He cannot go where life is. He goes where death is and shall never be removed from it. Give me an example. All right? Luke chapter 16. Jesus himself gave the example. He told the story of two men, one by the name of Lazarus, the other identified simply as a certain rich man. Verses 19 through 31, the story of the rich man and Lazarus. Just to give you in brief the story, the rich man fared sumptuously, lived in luxury, but died. Might it be good for us just to focus on that for a moment? 
He lived sumptuously and in luxury, but he died. You cannot buy one extra day of life, friend. President John F. Kennedy could not buy one extra day of life in Dallas, Texas years ago. He died. Though he was the most powerful human being alive at that time. None of us can buy one more moment of time. We are dying while we sit here in church today. He died, and that's not the end. He went to hell. Now, Jesus Christ said that. I'm going to believe him. I'm not going to listen to these crackpots who say, hell, there is no such thing. And yet they use it in every other sentence they speak. Amazing. Why don't they get it out of their vocabulary if it doesn't exist? Why do they go around telling everybody to go to hell? I just can't imagine that. I'm running around telling everybody to go to heaven. It's much more advantageous. Rich man who died and went to hell. Lazarus, the beggar, he died too. And that's good to remember. But he went to Abram's bosom, which was another way of saying he went into the presence of God where there was peace and joy. But this rich man in hell, separated from God, had all of his faculties. He could see. He saw Lazarus in Abram's bosom tranquil and with all that he needed. He could hear. He could converse. He could even think because he remembered his five brothers and his thinking said, Lazarus, go and get somebody to tell my brothers not to come here for I am in torment. He could taste because he wanted water to cool his tongue. He experienced remorse in this horrible place called hell and vainly sought for Lazarus to carry a message of warning to his brethren. In a word, friends, this rich man was banished from everything that was good. And that would be hell enough, wouldn't it? Revelation 21 and 22, on the other side of the coin, ought to say something to all who are toying with sin. In Revelation 21, 8, John said the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. John saw them. 
Is that the kind of company you want to keep for eternity? But in chapter 21, verses 10 and 11, John was carried away in the spirit to a great and high mountain, and there he was shown the great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. What a contrast to verse 8. If you are a logical, thinking person today, take a Bible and read Revelation 21.8 and ask yourself, is that the crowd I want to be with for eternity? And then read Revelation 21, 10 and 11 and ask yourself, wouldn't it be better for me to spend eternity in that city with those people and with Jesus Christ as the head than to go to the other place and languish forever in agony and in pain and in separation from God? Pleasure for the season. Is it enough? Are you really satisfied? What happens when a person dies in his sins? He perishes. But that does not mean he has lost his faculties and his ability to communicate and his taste and his feelings. Obviously, from the words of Jesus, he has all of those. But he cannot put his hand on anything good. It is a lake of fire that burns forever and ever. The third question I want to pose is, what will you do with God's love in contrast to what I've just said? What will you do with God's love? The incentive is here in James chapter 5 as well as in John 3.16. The incentive is God so loved. The incentive is, if you turn a sinner from the error of his way, you save a soul from death. Isn't that wonderful? And cover a multitude of sins. That's a noble occupation, folks. How to cover sin. Save a soul from death. Tell him about Jesus. Don't let him go. If you see him in adultery, if you see her in waywardness and promiscuity, Tell them about Jesus and draw them back by the power and help of the Holy Spirit. Don't let them go into eternity in their sin. Present to them the love of God. I want to ask you what you're going to do with God's love. God so loved and his love follows you to the grave. His love will never let you go. The story has been told in many different varieties. There's even a song about it. Tie a yellow ribbon on the old oak tree. The real story did take place on a train. I have the story in print. It had to do with a young man and a minister riding on a train. The young man who had been wayward was disconsolate. His head was hanging down. The minister sensed in this young man a troubled spirit, and so he began to talk to him. And the boy, having some confidence in this minister who he had never met before, began to tell 
the story of his life, how he had faithful parents and a good upbringing, but that when he was young, a rebellious spirit took hold of him, and he went away from home, spat in his parents' face, and lived like a prodigal for years. After years of wandering, just like the story in the Gospel of St. Luke, he got tired of the pig pens and the husks. And he wrote a letter to his dear, now aged parents, informing him that he would like to return home. And in fact, that on a certain train he would be riding. He asked them to give him a signal of acceptance that being a handkerchief tied to a branch of a tree which grew between the house and the railroad where the train would come. If it was not there, he would understand and he would stay on the train and keep right on going. As they neared the curve, the young man buried his head in his hands, unable to look out the window, the minister peered through the window, having heard this story with great excitement. And he said, young man, I see the cottage that you describe. I also see an elderly couple standing on the steps, shading their eyes and looking this way most earnestly. The young man said, oh, sir, but do you see a handkerchief? Upon the tree, the minister said, Son, look for yourself. There is not just one handkerchief on that tree, but there is a handkerchief hanging from every limb. I don't know how I could come to this pulpit today and say anything more profoundly than that. God's love reaches out to you. He will not let you go. Some of you have your names on the rolls of this church, but you're living an ungodly life. You're on your way to destruction if you don't stop and look at the love of God that is reaching out to save you from the trend of your life. God so loved that he gave. What will you do with his love? There's one final question and then I will be through. How will you live for Christ once you make this wonderful decision? You see, these are the things that we miss out on. We forget to do over and over and over again. You've got to plug into a good church, and this is a good church. I went into my prayer time this morning and looked at those requests, and there was a request on there. Pray for a young man who has been in four churches in four years. That's not right. Plug into a good church and put your roots there. Stop running around. This is a good church. It preaches the Bible. It has everything that you need for training 
for education, for discipleship, for fellowship, for anything. It's here. And Jesus said, Upon this rock I will build my church. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Don't drift from church to church and meeting to meeting. Settle down. Settle down. Secondly, pray. I can't do your praying for you. Larry Lee can't do your praying for you. You've got to pray for yourself. Pray. Pray every day. Pray every step you take. Pray every mile you drive. Pray in every elevator you ride in. Pray. Talk to God. He'll talk back to you. Read the Bible. Read it every day. Hide the word in your heart that you will not sin against him. Simple. But do it. Be genuine. Don't be a phony. I'm sick of phoniness. People who want to get in on the hype. Be genuine. Christianity is not a profession. It is a possession. Love God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind, and then go out and love your neighbor like you love yourself. Be genuine. Stop being a phony. Don't come up here just to be seen. Don't go in that baptismal tank just to be seen. Don't be a phony. Be genuine. If you're going to live for Christ, live it like a man. Live it like a woman. It's a gutsy thing to be a Christian. Be genuine. Fifth, be separated. Don't think you can live for the world and Jesus too. It just doesn't mix. It's like oil and water. They will not mix. Stop this nonsense of thinking. You can still hang on to what you thought was so important. You've got to be separated unto God. We are known as a peculiar people. I'm glad. When I look at the weirdos out there, I'm happy to be labeled a peculiar person. Thank God for the privilege of being peculiar. I claim it. Hallelujah. I'm a peculiar person because I'm separated from this world. It's what Brother Morris sang today. Christ is all. Ooh, that blessed me. Christ is all in all. Live that way. And finally, never turn back. Witness. Support the work of the gospel with your money, with your time, with your talent. Plunge in with both feet like the disciples. They forsook all and followed him. That's the way to do it. Well, I wish I had more time. Always do. Here we are in church. And there's a radio audience out there of vast proportions listening to my voice. People in all kinds of backgrounds and circumstances. 
What are we supposed to do? We're just to do what the songwriter suggested in the great hymn we sing often. Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, and that thou bidst me come to thee. O Lamb of God, I come. I come. That's it. That's it. A child can understand it. O Lamb of God, I come. That's what is required. Just come. And the Spirit and the Bride say, Come. And let him that heareth say, Come. And let him that is athirst come. And whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. Doesn't cost you anything. You may be horribly in debt, but you can afford this. All you have to do is come. Come to the water and drink. What is this thing called sin? It's what separates you from God. What happens to the person who dies in his sins? He perishes. What will you do with God's love? I hope you will see the handkerchiefs tied on every limb today. And how will you live for Christ? With these suggestions in your mind and in your heart, there is no turning back. He that puts his hand to the plow and looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. And what do I have to do? All you have to do is come. Will you come today? If you're a member of this church, but you know you're not heading the right direction, you come. This is the right direction, right down here to the front. If it's your first time in this church and you've never come to Jesus, today's the day. Now is the accepted time. Today is the day of salvation. Don't put it off. Now is the time to come. It's the normal thing. How to cover sin? Come to Jesus. His blood will cover it all. How to cover sin? Go out of here and witness for Jesus. And don't let people go on in their stupidity and in their errant way. Bring them to Jesus with your witness and your prayers and your efforts. That's what James ends this book with. He who saves a sinner from the error of his way saves a soul from death and covers a multitude of sins. That sounds like a good deal. Amen. Stand with me, please, all over the auditorium. You are almost like the California Highway Patrol. I think I only saw four people get up this morning compared to usually 25 or 30. I thank you. Now I do want you to move, not out the back door, down to this altar just as I am. Who have I spoken to as the servant of God in this moment? Who among us needed to be reminded that all of us have sinned? And if we haven't dealt with it, we need to deal with it right now. We ought not to leave here a hypocrite or a phony or a lost soul. We ought to leave here right with God a child of God, ready to trust Jesus every day of our life. If you need to come, I ask you to come. Bow your knee. 
That's all we ask. Just come. And you come just as you are. That's the only way God will receive you. Just as you are. You come as we sing, will you? I'll be waiting.